So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be looking at the top of the bottom and what the end of the season means for the first five draft picks for the 2016 draft. We'll look at some of the coaching moves that have happened this week, uh, it is firing season, and then we're going to have another look at, and they've been getting a bad doing over by it, the Browns and why they are still the saddest franchise of all. Okay, so uh, hey guys, we've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. Who has now returned to his rightful place of Cork, far away from us, where we can mute him if he decides to irritate us any further. <laughs> uh, how are we all getting on, lads? Yeah, can't complain. Had a good New Year, so I'm happy out. Ah, very good. What about yourself, Fitz? Yeah, good good New Year's, good quiet New Year's, and then uh, back to work now, solving those statistical questions down the mines, oh, the data good. mines. Yeah, so it's been pretty, like, the boss is out this week, so it's been pretty relaxed coming back. Ah, very good. Yeah, similar enough for myself, my boss is away at the moment, so it's fairly quiet getting back into work now. But uh, yeah, and nice out, nice out, quiet enough New Year. Also, boom, Chiefs are in the playoffs. The Pats are in the playoffs, and the Seahawks are in the playoffs. Good, uh, good lot for us. Uh, thankfully, Dave's not here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Browns are in the news. Poor one for Ian, yeah? Philadelphia Eagles. Poor Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, but, but I suppose, yeah, we'll kick off. Uh, so obviously, it's the end of the season. Good news for our guys. Less good news for other people. So we'll kick off having a look at a few of the uh, the best worst teams, or the worst at being good teams uh, depending on how you like to look at it glass half full glass half empty like can't afford a full pint we've got the top 5 picks this year going to be number 1 the Titans at 3 and 13 and we've got the Browns at 3 and 13 we've got the Chargers at 4 and 12 the Cowboys at 4 and 12 and I believe the 49ers at 5 and 11 get the 5th pick even though they're tied with some other people off strength of schedule and stuff like that are there any massive surprises in this group? I'd say probably before the season, Cowboys. Yeah, I think the Cowboys were one we didn't expect to be down there. And I mean, look, we knew the Niners were going to be not great, but I don't think we expected the Niners to be this bad. Yeah. Yeah, but I think if you said Cowboys and Tony Romo gets injured and Des Bryant gets injured, you probably would be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. So we said we kind of have a quick look at these guys and see. We're going to do a bit more in-depth on the draft and kind of coverage on that later on, but... We'll have a quick look at these guys and maybe the areas that they'd be looking at as massive needs and kind of players to maybe scope out this early. Uh, we got the Titans up first. I suppose it's a team that got their quarterback and probably needs to look at protecting their quarterback. So I'm thinking they're probably going to take a tackle from what I gather from my initial looks. A tackle from Ole Miss by the name of Tunsil seems to be the kind of consensus number one pick this year. Any, any Anything on that, guys? Yeah, it's always it's always risky, of course. Um, I think tackle is probably where they need to go, but it's always risky taking O-linemen out of college. I think we've seen your team uh, in particular as well. The Jags uh, have selected linemen very high, the Browns as well, and it just hasn't really worked out for them. So I think you've got to do it. But it's always one of those ones where if a lineman's available, you know, at the top of the draft, that's the place where you consider, you know, maybe trading down to yeah. try and get more value. Because the first few guys, the first four or five linemen, these days you always seem to be taking a little bit of a punt anyway. Yeah, uh, actually, I saw an interesting stat about the uh, the Jags linemen they took in that draft. Uh, throughout the season, through week one to week 16, only allowed two sacks, and then in week 17 allowed five. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? It's anything you'd like? You think that they'd be looking at more? Like you would have to expect it would probably be a tackle, simply because that's where people are saying there's a lot of talent in the draft, and because you have your quarterback, you're supposed to give him, you know, protection. And these kind of offensive tackle prospects end up being seen as a safe play. But as we've as we've seen, 
safe is really a, it's a technical term there's obviously some in the league who believe that offensive tackles in college are crap because of the spread offense and that they all have to be taught from the ground up yeah uh, these days but we'll do it anyway yeah no fair enough the next team up on the clock would be the Browns I think we're going to be chatting about these guys in depth a little bit later and why this might be true but I'm going to guess quarterback yeah I think quarterback obviously with them, yeah, we'll discuss this later as to why that is suddenly a need for them uh, that's the big one uh, the other position I suppose they could look at if they reckon they can get a quarterback later is possibly wide receiver because their receiving core mm. is pretty poor at the moment yeah like I think at the moment from what I gather there's not a huge amount of wide receivers out there yeah. that are like top end talents but like they've said that about the last two or three drafts and there's been lots of really really good receivers coming out what are yourself Fitz? Yeah, that like quarterback would be the pretty typical choice here. At the moment, obviously, there's not really... I think Jared Goff is the one getting the hype at the moment, but yeah. this and has been a draft generally seen to not have like a guaranteed like QB. Yeah. But at least there's no like massive question marks like Johnny Football had coming out. Just that there's nobody that's seen as like being as talented as the Jameis Winstons or the Andrew Lux that yeah. we've seen in the last few, last few uh, drafts. But they'll probably draft for that position. With a new GM uh, head coach combination, that's usually what you get. Yeah, of course. So probably Joff or Lynch going to them. So I've heard Lynch yeah. as well being touted. Next one's up at the clock will be the Chargers. Who are laughing at this here. I said that they're probably going to go with cornerback with uh, Vernon Hargreaves from Florida. Just the, the rationale is... Flowers is injured and has not been playing well, so they probably need to get rid of him or reconsider his contract. He's been injured, and the replacement they've got for him, free agent after this uh, season, they've lost their, I think, all of their safeties. Pretty much, yeah. yeah pretty much every single safety on the roster is gone, uh, or is an undrafted free, or is a is a free unrestricted free agent after this season. They've got twenty five players currently on their roster that are hitting free agency. I think this is one where they could they could surprise us. I think obviously defensive backfield is probably most immediate concern in terms of talent efficiency, although San Diego are actually quite good against the pass this season. But this is one where they could just go BPA with any, yeah. any position except maybe tight end. Or quarterback. Or quarterback, maybe. yeah. But I think they could just be finding themselves going BPA because they've got so many holes. We've seen what happened with mm. the lack of depth on the roster or across the roster this season. Yeah, yeah no, of course. Uh, yourself, it's. I think it's like best player available, probably. But as you mentioned, they have a severe need in the secondary so I imagine they'll take somebody in the cornerback safety kind of position and obviously cornerbacks tend to be more highly rated in draft boards than yeah. safeties. Our next team up is the Cowboys. I read an interesting article about this that kind of convinced me. It said the Cowboys should take a cornerback at the fourth overall pick because they need to arrange a backup and this is a roster that, like we said, the only reason that we expect to see them down here is because of the massive injuries that they got. They're not a team that's going to get a top four or five pick all that often in the next little bit with the kind of depth on that roster, I think. But they're uh, going to trade for Johnny Puff of course. So. Well, this is the this is the potential. Uh, <laughs> and Robert Griffin the third. Like I've got them, I've got, <laughs> I've got them down here as either a quarterback or a wide receiver. But I've also put a, put in the side if they go BPA or if they were to pick up Johnny Football or someone like that, uh, that they might go for this outside linebacker pass rusher chap Joey Bossa because then they might be able to get that scumbag off their uh, off their um, roster. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they would do that. Not resigning Greg Hardy because also they'll have Randy Gregory coming back. Uh, next season mm-hmm. they do have like some reasonable talent in that sort of position so I don't know if that's where they'll go I think quarterback is actually probably Dallas the team I'd say I most like to take quarterbacks at this stage like Tony Romo is made out of glass yes they might be crazy enough to gamble on, on Griffin or Manziel as a backup but that is just not secure and it's better to have a guy who comes in without that baggage Yeah, um, and they do need, they do need one because like you've seen what happened this season yeah no it's just not good and then I suppose the final team because I've actually I've got these guys picking very similarly 49ers I've got them similar to above 
QB, maybe wide receiver, but like to be honest, on that roster at the moment, just best player available, whoever's there. Like they have holes at pretty much every section. They need wide receivers. They need a quarterback. They need linemen. Yeah, they pretty much need everything. That's really hard to assess. I don't think there's a wrong position for San Fran to pick, although there are certainly going to be potentially wrong players. But wherever they pick, I think is going to be you know it's going to be something they need. No, of course, of course. Ronan? Yeah, I think, like, yeah, and this is kind of a team which is, like, so far behind the eight ball. If you're that far behind the eight ball in terms of the loss of talent they've had over the last couple of years, picking a QB is really just picking is picking them to fail. So it's probably better to just get, like, the solid pieces in place in this draft. And then hopefully coming in next year, you might be looking at uh, your future quarterback. Like I said, this is just kind of a quick look at the top five on the thing. We're going to do a lot more in-depth on the draft and draft prospects kind of as we finish up the season, finish up the, the, the Super Bowl and everything. Keep firing us in any messages about players you want us to look at and stuff. Thanks for the ones so far. Uh, they really helped it like, look like we kind of know anything about college <laughs> players. Um, sure, every year the mock drafts at this point end up looking incredibly foolish. It's yeah. like someone has a great combine. It's like, oh yeah, get, the, get them up in there, you know? Yeah, no, of course. Uh, the next news item we're going to have a look at is some of the coaching moves. I suppose there's one big one in particular and we'll just mention a few of the other ones. Tom Coughlin is now gone from the New York Giants. He's now he's spent 20 years in the NFL as a head coach, 8 with Jacksonville and 12 with the New York Giants. I found this one interesting. He's got the exact same winning percentage with both teams. <laughs> uh, so he's 0.531 uh, with both of them, so therefore a 0.531 career. Playoffs, 9 times, 3 Super Bowls. 320 games coached as a head coach, 170 to 150. Not a bad old run for the fella. I suppose we kind of said a couple of times during the season we saw this one coming. Kind of said, he's getting a bit old. He's also said, I don't love that this is coming so quickly after his complete failure with the Odell Beckham scenario to reel that in. His career is probably better than that one event, but that being so close to the end might temper how people look at his legacy. It's almost like he's football died, although he, he's now saying that he's not ready to finish football just yet or he might be back. But we'll just assume for now he's football died, so everyone can only say nice things about him. And I think like the Odell Beckham, Josh Norman thing will kind of just be uh, forgotten about in a couple of years' time. And certainly in five years' time, if he's up for Canton at that point. You have to imagine that he's going to go into the Hall of Fame as one of the best coaches of his generation. Yeah, Obviously did. with some interesting views on, uh, on medical stuff and whatever, but... Uh, a great coach, no doubt. Oh yeah, like he also he took one of the expansion teams and kind of really showed what you could do with that and said, yeah, exactly. we'll make ourselves playoff relevant in the space of three years, something that I don't think anyone else has really managed to do. Like, what are your thoughts on him, Harry? I know that uh, he's, got a, he's got a slightly more uh, spotted history with your boys. Yeah, uh, my first thought is, thank God. <laughs> my second <laughs> thought is, how bad must Jacksonville have felt watching all of that happen? <laughs> but no, look, I think it's, it's very much like Ronan says, his career is winding down. Um, and I think he, he just tagged it, but the medical thing I think is actually quite interesting because I think it indicates that the game was starting to pass him by a bit. He was a guy who was stuck in his old ways and not that flexible in how he approached things. Um, I think that's sort of the whole medical thing where it was like a lot of the Giants had a load of injuries and then all the players coming out being like, Tom Coughlin is basically putting leeches on us in ice baths, <laughs> or might as well be kind of just showed that, yeah, like, he's a guy who just wasn't able to adapt his methods, and, you know, having a thing you're good at is great and all, but you need the ability to sort of move with that, and I think that wasn't happening. I think part of the problem now where he started struggling with Eli was 
when he brought in Ben McAdoo to change things up. I don't know how well that meshed with Coughlin's coaching style. And then we saw the leadership problems between Coughlin, McAdoo and Manning as to what was actually happening there. So it probably was time. The Odell Beckham thing I don't think will matter. Like, yes, one failure of leadership I don't think is going to stack up against a career of getting the best out of players who were perhaps not that good. You know, it has been a good career for him. I don't know if one of the best coaches of his generation, I don't know, but certainly will be in the Hall of Fame, particularly because two Super Bowls with a not that great a team and also what he did with Jacksonville in the early days was very, very commendable. Yeah, no, of course. I love it. Like, it's commendable what you did for those Jaguars. <laughs> I think it's commendable. He gave them hope only to see it crush. A dying relative. It's like, oh, it was very commendable what he did with them. Who's going to be next for the Giants? Well, they could. They should really have the pick of the the litter, as it were, because like that's probably the best situation to be going into. Uh, you have a franchise quarterback, you have a team which, uh, and you have like a wide receiver, like a very a very good wide receiver. There's work to do on the defense, but there are some pieces there mm. of the teams which are having openings. You'd expect the Giants to be one of the biggest. But there is rumours that the the early favourite is Ben McAdoo himself, as someone who is like very well in with uh, Eli Manning, and that's obviously quite an important thing in that case. It would be in line with the kind of continuity which the New York Giants have become associated with uh, over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I suppose so. So sorry, that, that was kind of a bit of what my other question is going to be. Is, is this the best uh, opportunity for someone this offseason? Is this the best situation to go into? Because like, I find it weird looking at this roster that we've said quite often, like, there's two or three good bits, but it's a very hit-or-miss, boomer-bust kind of roster where they don't have depth, they're missing a lot of spots. Like, But genuinely, this might be one of the better options for new head coaches this year. It, it is, and I think you're right in what you say, but what makes a critical difference is they have pieces to build around. And if you look at the other teams that are looking for a head coach, I'm not so sure they do, with the exception of Tennessee. I think you don't look at another team with any real pieces to build around, like Cleveland, San Francisco, even Philadelphia have just decimated the talent on their roster. It is definitely the best job going at the moment. And I actually think what Roman says is probably the most likely scenario, that they will look for stability, look for from within, look for a guy who has to trust both the GM and a franchise QB. No, fair enough. Yeah, just outside of that one, obviously, there was a couple of other coaching moves. We'll discuss this more in the off-season, but we've got, obviously, Tom Sula's been fired as well. The biggest one that really confused me, and we'll probably talk a lot about next week, is Chuck McGowan's been given a four-year extension for some God-fucking-knows-what reason. And also, the Chargers have fired their OC, but decided to keep their GM and their head coach for now. God knows why, because, you know, this season has gone so fantastically well for them. But like I said, we'll do more off-season chats and stuff uh, later on in later episodes. Uh, Giants. I have heard. Uh, I've heard some rumors floating around. It'll be interesting to see that uh, this has been a potential dream spot for Sean Payton, and that he would desperately want this. But that is also being paired with the fact that the other rumor is that the Saints are shopping him with a second round pick as being the price tag, which. Especially if you're looking to build a roster there and fill your holes, maybe uh, maybe losing a second round pick is the world's greatest way to start that off. Yeah, I have no idea what the Saints are playing at with that one, but somebody might bite. So, from what might be a great wait, scenario... Wait, 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 wait. Second round picks are useless. I saw this film with Kevin Costner. You don't need those. They're, <laughs> oh, they're pointless. There we go. Sean Payton to Cleveland. Problem solved. <laughs> Speaking of Cleveland, uh, how badly can it get for one single team? 3-13 and 13 season, not even... Good enough to get the first overall pick. They get the second overall pick. They fired their head coach before the last game of the season, Petten, but still had him play it out. And then immediately afterwards, fired their GM. There's two very interesting stories out here we're going to just discuss that 
It's a scenario where you desperately want them to do something right and get a bit better for the sake of parity and just nothing is going correctly. They've now set up a search committee, appointed their ex-lawyer as president of f- like football personnel or something, given him final say over the over the rosters. Haslam and his wife are now part of the, uh, the search committee, D. Haslam, who are now going to find a head coach who will agree to someone else who is a lawyer rather than a football head having final say on a roster, then that head coach will join the committee to go and search for a general manager, who will then also not be a general manager. And not be protected from tampering rules either, because of the way Cleveland have managed it. Yes. So, could someone please try and make sense of this scenario for me? Ronan, like, what the fuck is going on here? It's a mess. And, like, the owner... Like, this is the owner's fault. The owner... The book starts with the owner, and he's certainly taken a lot of books. Uh, like, this is obviously another blow it apart, see what we can do. And each time they're doing it from the wrong point of view. Like, it was widely seen that Ray Farmer, who was obviously in there, was seen as his man, and then he just blows him away. It just... It just I don't know. This team doesn't seem to have a, a proper direction. And seem Like, the owner... It kind of reminds me of the uh, Bengals... Uh, during their long dry spell where the owner was getting too involved in the football operations and wasn't really letting the head coach and the GM do their job. He really should just leave it up to the football people to try and put together a team, which is like just have the same kind of structure that every other team has, which is have a head coach who like who coaches the players, have a GM who looks after the roster and that end of it, and then build people who are subservient to them within the system. It's just, it's impossible to know what's going on. It's just, I think this is like this is one team where you kind of see a team effectively just being a billionaire's plaything and be used in such a horror, horrific way, especially considering the fans. You know, they they, they don't deserve this. Like, no, of course, just, of course, it's just it, terrible. Like I don't know, it's like it's it's too ridiculous to even conceptualize why this would be happening. There's no real justifiable way to talk about why this might be happening. Well, look, there's some progress because there is no longer a homeless man making player selection calls. And you can see the people he's put on that. They're not football people. They're his wife and the... Ex-lawyer. Ex-lawyer, exactly. Haslam has seen the Browns struggle and his response is, nobody knows what they're doing except me. And that has historically gone, with the exception, I think, probably of the early Jerry Jones days in Dallas. (laughs) Not so much the latter Jerry Jones days in Dallas. That has traditionally gone horribly wrong for teams. And I don't know why they can't see this. And you want to have sympathy for Cleveland and then they do something like this and you're like, you make your own problems. Yeah, like, it's, it's just it's just ridiculous. And, like, there's legal problems attached to the way that they're doing this search that people can be exempted from actually even being allowed to try out for these jobs. There's problems out of being able to find people who will happily take a, I want to be a head coach without knowing what the power structure around me is going to be and select a GM who won't be a GM. I like an analogy um, I think I saw it online earlier was that, you know, what you want in the GM is you want them to be a chef to like put together the pieces and then and, like make, make a dish that way and this is the equivalent of going on one of those cookery shows where someone goes here's a box with six ingredients make me dinner they're not allowed to actually have any freedom to do what they're meant to do so one I don't know if they're going to be able to attract anyone but B the person who does decide they want to go for this scenario is probably not going to be your high end GM talent but this brings us on to uh, moving on from player selection and an ongoing problem the Browns are having with that right now is the emergence of an additional quarterback on the roster that they were unaware of, known only as Billy Basketball. He looks surprisingly like Johnny Manziel, uh, but parties in Las Vegas while wearing blonde wigs and fake mustaches. Uh, have you guys seen the videos or the photos of this yet? Oh, yes, like there aren't words. There just aren't words. This is beyond ridiculous. 
there's only one solution here. It's like, yes, Johnny Manziel might be not the brightest guy when it comes to managing his own career or his money or his partying. He's not this... Nobody is this stupid. Like, yeah. maybe Ricky Williams back in the day, but nobody is this stupid. He's trying to get out. And at this stage, I don't blame him. You look at that situation, you look at how he's been messed around this year. Oh, you're starting, you're not starting. Oh, we saw you at a party, now you're third string. Oh, somebody's got injured, now you're starting again. Do they have any faith in him? Don't they? They fire pet him, they fire the GM. Everything around him is just chaos. I do not blame the guy for A, wanting to go on a bender as a result of that, and B, being like, you know what, if Cleveland kicked me out because of this, so what? I would literally rather be anywhere else. And that's, although admittedly, yeah, it's perhaps an immature reaction, it's a very understandable one when your career is stagnating because your team, the team is falling to pieces around you, so why not try to get kicked off the roster, to be honest with you? What do you reckon, Ronan? Is this, is this a considered move for him to try and get turfed off and get away from this Browns team that are in a tailspin for God knows how many years now at this point? Or is this just a stupid kid doing stupid things and thinking he'll somehow get away with it in, like, a Halloween costume? Uh, a bit of both, I'd say. Like, it's just, he's been an idiot. Like, I, I, I doubt he wanted this to go public as much as it has gone. But, like, I think the reason that he was in Vegas was, like, what he should have been doing was showing up on Sunday morning for a concussion assessment. Yeah. Of, so I think that would be enough of a... Like, the fact that they didn't know where he was on Sunday is probably sufficient reason to show, like, he just want to be on the team. But the whole, like, showing up in Vegas and then posting a fake photo to Instagram oh, saying, yeah. oh, Saturday nights and with his dog or something like that. Like, <laughs> pretending yeah, he was in Ohio or something? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So I, I don't think the Vegas thing was a deliberate attempt to get out. I think all the other things he did at the same time probably are. But, yeah, this just adds a cherry yeah, it's, on it's not a, it's not a cons- makes him look bad. It's not a considered thing, but it's a, I don't care about this. Like, what are the consequences going to be if they kick me off? I'm okay with that. So it's not like he's like, oh, going to Vegas will get me kicked off the team. It's if I go to Vegas and get kicked off the team, I don't care. Hmm. There is there is an interesting thing though of the uh, I just I just love the balls and the guy's like I'm just gonna throw on a blonde wig a fake mustache which I might add he kept on for the full night so he was drinking and eating and partying in the club in a fake mustache after people have already taken pictures and figured out who the fuck he is right and then he said my name's Billy then went to a nightclub tried to get the nightclub guys like to not to met to basically comp his table and all the, all the drinks and stuff he had bought saying he's a famous guy and he doesn't want them to know what his name is and he doesn't want it to go on his credit card but he's super famous and his name was Billy what the fuck is wrong with this guy i don't know this is this is actually my this is actually only my second favorite wig and fake mustache story of the week because uh, you know uh, Clevin Bundy the guy from the ranch style if this is a slight tangent but this is quite funny a, a law he wrote a, a lawsuit they filed a lawsuit a handwritten lawsuit against Barack Obama oh I heard about this all these alle- hilarious allegations some of which are extremely sexually explicit um, but one of them was <laughs> throwing down all the really, really serious horrible things which is just some absolute inanity and one of the best is he said that he personally witnessed Barack Obama sell quote Muslim potions on the side of the road in DC wearing a fake wig and moustache maybe <laughs> maybe maybe it was Johnny Manziel Johnny Manziel in disguise <laughs> It's all the cover for him to be joining militia, you know? That's it. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Browns, get your shit together. Yeah, so we're going to move on to look at some of the games from last week. Okay, so we're going to look at five games this week. Probably most of them trying to be as relevant as possible to the playoff scenario. So the first one up uh, in the good game category is uh, Jets versus Buffalo, uh, 17-22. to This is an interesting game to watch. Jets had control of their own destiny. Uh, it was a win and in for them if they had managed to pull it off. But uh, Rex Ryan had revenge and possibly feet on his mind. Uh <laughs> 
Fitzmagic crumbled brutally in the fourth quarter uh, just to kind of piss the end of this game away in a game that really should have been won by them and they should be in the playoffs right now. Watkins and Marshall both had good games, both had over 125 yards receiving, but... Uh, this was just this was just not great. So I'll kick off with you, Harry. What happened here to the playoff Jets? Like, why did they why did they crumble like this? Because of the Jets. It was the most Jets thing, and it was you know we were all joking, me like, ah oh, yeah, you know they'll beat the Patriots and lose to lose to the Bills, and then look what they go out and do. It was weird. The Jets looked nervous. They looked shook. They were less disciplined than the Bills, which is bizarre. Yeah. Gave away a lot of cheap uh, cheap penalties. Darrell Revis had an awful game. He was getting absolutely burned on the regular um, just seemed to be very slow coming back on routes and tracking down receivers which I think when your best defensive player is playing like that you need the other guys to step up and that just didn't happen uh, in a fairly injury riddled uh, Jets it's dropping a lot secondary. of penalties as well if I remember there were yeah that is true so it was it was just messy from them they looked out of sorts and they got every advantage they could have I mean they had several chances to win the game and threw away with the interceptions at the end Carlos Williams who was having a fine game running against and got injured Gilsley was much less effective Buffalo were still able to keep moving the ball and you know, you've got, to, you've got to credit, I think, to an extent, the way Buffalo played. I think they came out, they looked... And this is, again, what we've said all the time about Rex Ryan being that sort of emotional coach. Sometimes that can work, and I think this was a game where it did, where it gave the players an edge. We saw their pass rush actually do some stuff, which was yeah. made for a nice change. Marcel Darius had quite a good game. And also Tyrod Taylor as well played played well again. Again, again that awareness going for a touchdown, second time we've seen him do it this season, yeah, the where it's marginal, clock that pylon over. Uh, although he didn't, you know, he didn't get loose that much. It yeah. wasn't like he had a spectacular game. We put this in the good games. It was, you know, it was in some ways a strategic battle, and it was quite interesting to see teams that, you know, while not that good, what they would do in this situation, how they would play it out. But for the most part, you know, the Jets were just looser than the the Bills in the sense that their play was looser, and they made more mistakes, committed those critical errors that games oh, turn on. And when you crit two of those when the game is on the line, you've got to say, is it? Did they just get to the occasion? And to use that cliche, did they choke? Were they in the wrong mental place? And yeah. just outthought and outplayed themselves. No, of course. And there was, to be fair, there was a lot of exciting play calling from the Buffalo side. It was like from I think towards the back end of the first quarter, Rex Ryan was going for it on fourth oh, down just for great. the crack. Uh, like I suppose Fitz, when you look at this, you can see that it was a game where Buffalo were playing all out and they like they wanted to win this, even though it didn't matter to them. They wanted to stop the Jets getting into the playoffs. Is there a huge amount we can take from this game for Buffalo moving into next season? I don't see the scenario of being the seventh week of the season and them going for it on fourth down the whole time and being as pumped up. Uh, I would love if they were. That would be fantastic. But like for these two teams heading into an off season now with no playoff game, what what can they take from this game to build on over the off season? Like we both talk about the Jets there, but for Buffalo, like they did, like it's a positive way to end the season. It's kind of like that thing, like they're just the right amount of pressure. It's a game that doesn't really matter, but does matter a lot. While for the Jets, you can see at the end of the game they were devastated. Obviously, as Harry said, the pressure kind of came through with them. For Buffalo, this is another. It's a question mark season. Is the problem? They're good. They showed some real talent there, and in Tyrod Taylor, they have someone who they can probably see if that's their franchise quarterback. But for the team as a whole, there's a lot of question marks, especially at the coach position, with Rex Ryan kind of showing his strengths and weaknesses this, this year once again. Like, the problem is in a tough division, and what you can expect to be a tough division going forward, like, you just have to worry that the leadership there won't be sufficient uh, to pull them through when they need it, which is earlier in the season, in the big games, when the season is actually on the line. There's just been too many times this season where we've seen them big themselves up, say we're going to win this game and then lose it, and only in this kind of dead rubber game in which the other team was the more nervous game we've seen. Like, it, like for Buffalo, there's lots of questions, but there's loads of upside. To be fair, if you swap head coaches, 
I'd feel a lot more comfortable about Buffalo. For the Jets, they just need to try and put this out of their minds and build on what they've done this season. Like, most of the pieces should be back next season, uh, with the exception of... Uh, they have some interesting contracts up with Mo Wilkerson. To, so I think for both teams, they should look forward to next season, but hopefully they can go a little bit further next season than they have this season. Yeah, like I said, good game from them, interesting game from them, a game the Jets probably should have done, but uh, Buffalo put up an interesting showing. Uh, we're going to move into the neutral zone now for the next week. This wasn't a fantastic set of games, but there were some very compelling and interesting games in the mix here. Our next game is Minnesota at Green Bay, 20-13. How did this happen? Teddy Bridgewater is 10-19 of 19 for 91 yards. Peterson has 19 carries for 67 yards. Rodgers throws for three times that. <laughs> they have no run game, and they managed to score some total of 13 points at home. Ronan, could you please explain this game to me? Yeah, like, it's just one of those kind of weird games. We've seen a couple of them, like the Eagles versus the Patriots early in the season, or even the Seahawks versus the Rams. It's just one of those games where weird things happen. Like, this is a game, literally, where the kicker, like the Green Bay kicker, even though they lost, managed to, like, get a fumble <laughs> off a kick return. It, it, it's just one of those games where you just kind of saw weird things happen, and Minnesota happened to get the coin clips in, the, in this case. Like, you know, my personal theory of football is that, you know, most teams are within, like, a very small margin of each other's. So most games come down to, like, two or three massive plays. And in this game, Minnesota managed to get the run of the luck. But you have to also admit that the Minnesota defense looked a lot more improved. As their pieces start to come back, we might see something a bit more impressive from Minnesota, which is more akin to their early season. And on the Green Bay side, so many question marks, including Aaron Rodgers. It's just kind of like, what is this team right now? And we'll talk about all this later in the Green Bay in next week's games. But it's just, it's just hard to know where this team has been over the back half of the season. Yeah, it's just really difficult to know where they are right now. No, of course, of course. Like, obviously, there was, there was question marks going into this about whether the fact that you know, the winner plays the Seahawks and the loser plays the Pale Faces might play a part. I don't ever buy that it does. I don't think anyone really goes into a game and goes, sure, we'll tank this one. I think there can be effects on the mentality of a team. Maybe they don't play as hard or don't want to risk themselves as much in that scenario. And we will discuss this more in the games later. But, like, from what you saw in this game, are either of these teams legitimately dangerous? No. Um, I really don't think so. Uh, I think we kind of had an inkling of that already, and I think seeing them pitted against each other in a game, yeah, where Minnesota won via a tough defense, doing what I said last week they would be able to do to Green Bay. Mm. I didn't realize they'd do it to the point where they would have to have virtually zero offensive output to win the game. But <laughs> there you go. So yeah, Minnesota's defense is still dangerous. Seen guys like uh, Sandejo, I think it is, had a, had another good game, and sort of yeah. see people, the younger people like that, growing into their roles, even with some of the bigger names out. While the offense still is in- so inconsistent, I don't think that's going to happen. In Green Bay, just as Ronan says, it's it's gone from looking a bit off to something is just completely off, and they need to consider why such a talented roster just isn't performing and what's going wrong there, and you know why like they thought it was the play call. You know, they gave McCarthy back the play call seems to have made absolutely zero difference whatsoever no, to the team. Of, of the two. I think the Vikings are bizarrely the team that are more likely to win a game. I don't think either of them are likely to win a game, to be honest with you not to spoil anything for the picks uh, going into the playoffs. But I think the Vikings are more likely because, again, just because of that inconsistency, their defense will show up. Their offense might show up yeah. enough to win a game. Green Bay, just something's gone wrong there, and I, that's not a thing you're going to fix in that week between... Well, pretty much I haven't been able to fix it to this point. I don't see what's going to change between now and the wild card. No, of course, of course. Um, so, yeah, so that decided the winner of the of the North Division, but also then decided who was playing who in the wild card later on, and we will be discussing that soon. 
Uh, the next game we're looking at in the neutral zone is San Diego at Denver at 20 to 27. In a divisional game that could range from a bye week and home field advantage the whole way through to a wild card and road games for the whole way. Denver emerged victorious to lock down the one seed because the Pats shot the bed. Uh, Peyton Manning took the field for uh, the first time in, I believe, seven weeks now, something around those lines, um, after Osweiler uh, led the team to five turnovers. Not all his. Two interceptions and a fumble that were his, and then two fumbles from uh, Sanders and CJ Anderson to, to round out the five. When Peyton took the field, he looked... Better than he had the last time he was on the field. That is not to suggest that he looked good. Uh, He was 5 of 9 for 69 yards. A lot of run plays off the back of it. But uh, there did seem to be a bit of a change in the team's mindset when they went into that. Was this was this result now? Obviously, Denver won at the end, but it was a it was a big comeback at the end. Uh, I'll go to Harry first on this one. Was this a last hurrah from San Diego, or is this a show of weakness from Denver as to what they can be susceptible to? I think it was the latter. Um, I think Denver did everything in their power to lose this game. Like five turnovers, nice bit of symmetry, isn't it? You know, uh, Brock Osweiler is benched after five turnovers, and then Manning <laughs> comes in. So. Yeah, San Diego did everything they're power to lose this game. Like, you should not lose a game, no matter how bad you are, no matter how good your opponents are. If you get five turnovers, and it wasn't until late in the game that San Diego had a turnover of their own, you should not be, not only not winning the game, but San Diego never... They got, they, I think they got like three points off the first four turnovers yeah, or something like something that. terrible. It was really, really bad. So I don't think that they were playing particularly hard. I think they're playing as well as they can do with a team that suffered even more injuries during this game. But for Denver, yeah, unimpressive. Manning... You know, didn't have the ball off very well. They didn't ask him to do much. They didn't need him to do much. They figured they could lean on the running game at that point, and they were able to. Yeah. Uh, Osweiler, again, we saw the limitations in his game. Uh, a lack of touch, I think, is in particular now becoming an issue for him and how he plays. You know, I think <laughs> they're in an interesting position where they've got like one quarterback who can't throw touch passes and one who can't throw the deep ball. So yeah. got, like, they're sort of limited in their options. Two quarterback sets. Wildcats. See what's going to happen. Wildcats. Yeah, what can I be playing? <laughs> But, yeah, no, it's it, definitely concerning for Denver. Coming in with the one seed, they're going to have a bit of time, week off, more time for Manning to recover, and more time for Osweiler to study tape and coach onto it. But, yeah, a little de- definitely concerning that they couldn't put away a weak San Diego team. And for San Diego, just look, you shouldn't lose that. You just you just shouldn't lose in that situation. Yeah, like the, 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 the points from turnover scenario now is just ridiculous when you think about it. Like, they've got five turnovers in their favour and just do nothing with them. Ronan. Who starts the next game for the Broncos if you were the head coach? Who should start or who will start? Well, we'll go with both. It's kind of like, in terms of should, I would probably lean towards Manning. I think Manning is the choice that they will make. I think so the answer to both is the same. Why did you ask for delineation between questions? Like in terms of who you should start, it is kind of a coin flip. But I think with Manning, like really, I think it's just one of those cases where you look at the the CV, you look at the quality of the star, and you're kind of like, okay, we'll just we'll put out Manning, and we'll see what we can do, and we'll see what happens. And like it, it's kind of a weird one because obviously Osweiler is the one who won over New England earlier in the, in the year, and Manning obviously didn't look great. But I think it's just one of those cases where he's Peyton Manning, so you just have to play him. I did say he'd be back before the playoffs, didn't I? Mm, just about, just about. Mm. So I suppose, yeah, like, not a great game for me this side. Denver needs to do a bit more, but now they've locked up a, at least a week's holiday before they have to make it a tough decision as to who's going to be starting for them in the first playoff game. And now onto our dumpster fireside chats. Our first game this week is uh, New England at Miami, 10-20. to Ah, oh, this is a horrible game. Like, really, really horrible game. Pats miss out on the top seed by virtue of losing their last two games of the season. They had Brady out there. I think he threw only five passes in the first half of this game. They were trying to limit him a lot. Uh, 
I was very confused as to if you're not going to use him, why is he out there? Why not just put him on the bench if you're going to rest some starters? Especially after he gets a hit from Sue and looks like he's injured his ankle. Apparently, the, the current diagnosis is it's a high ankle sprain, uh, but they do have a week off, so at least there's that. I'm going to start with you, right? What the fuck was the plan here? Like, what did, they, what did they want to do? Why did they roll out these starters and then not use them and just let them potentially get injured while not beating what is a terrible Miami team? Well, when we made our deliberately incorrect, <laughs> although slightly prophetic picks last week, said that uh, Bill Belichick will just troll the Patriots because he's got nothing left to do. Other than that, I have no logic for this game. Like, yeah, the plan was clear. You know, run the ball, load, preserve the players. The result doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't know. If you're already going to let Brady throw the ball five times, why? Why didn't they bring him off as soon as he got injured? Why is it until like pretty much the last drive of the game that we saw yeah, the Patriots actually only, play the backups? Only, only, only last five minutes, Jimmy G was in for, uh, or the last eight minutes uh, not, or something? Not just Garoppolo, but oh, starters across the, well, the remainder of our starters on offense, <laughs> as much as like, Stephen Jackson and uh, Keyshawn Martin are starters. <laughs> but uh, apparently they are. Yeah, no, really weird. Like, And even then, when Brady was throwing it, a lot of it was not directed towards Gronkowski or Amandola, although Amandola was... I don't Gronkowski know why Amandola two catches for eighteen yards in yeah, this game. Something like that. I don't know why Amandola was on the field at all. Clearly wasn't hurt. Clearly wasn't healthy. Don't know what was going on there. Yeah, like just just genuinely baffling. And our defense did not look good, which no. is worrying because that minus Dante Hightower was pretty like close. close thing. And again, Devin McCourty again playing. You could see him when he was coming out of. He gave it to touchdowns when he was coming out of his breaks. He was slow. He was awkward turning. The guy's ankle is still clearly bothering him. Why is he playing, and why is he playing deep into the fourth quarter? No, of course. Um, I suppose this this is the question I'm going to come to you now on this, Fitz. Uh, like, is this just a dead game that doesn't matter and no one to pay any attention to, or is it of interest to the playoffs in that, as we said, yes, there's going to be starters on the offense who are going to be there. They're probably going to use different game plans whenever it gets to the playoffs and so. But as I said, that was mostly the starting defense that's going to be there for the playoffs for them. Is this a game that we should be concerned about moving into the playoffs for the, for the Patriots, yeah, well, like the problem was that there was something at stake. There's obviously the you know home advantage the whole way through. Uh, assuming obviously that Denver get through as well. Uh, I think it, like there was just, there was just enough in the game that you can't justify sitting everyone like immediately, like actually just rest your starters, but not enough really to make you feel that you should be doing like running a proper game plan as you saw as you mentioned, like a lot of run plays, a lot of interesting choices you wouldn't see from the typical uh, Patriots team. Like, the one thing is, obviously, we know that there's a lot of pieces that are coming off injury that are expected to be back uh, in two weeks' time. Primary among them would be Julian Edelman, of course. Incredible. So, like, this is definitely not New England playing their best. This is New England almost playing a preseason type game or, like, preseason type stuff with their starters. So, yeah, I, I don't think you should read too much into it, but there's definitely worrying signs here from the last two weeks that New England might be losing their shine at the wrong time kind of in contrast to last year when they kind of revved up to the end of the season. Yeah, uh, so he didn't, he didn't even have his hoodie on. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, lack of, lack of lack, no hoodie, no chance. But uh, actually, I'll tell you, the one thing that emphasized how much of just a clusterfuck that game was, you know, Goskowski missed a field goal. Yeah. That never happens. That was the shortest field goal he's missed in like three years. Yeah, did, like, did nobody just care? Like, <laughs> baffling. Yeah. Everyone sucked. I maintain it's just specifically he wanted the Dolphins to have a slightly worse pick. It wouldn't, wouldn't uh, put it past. We've got, we've got the Jets, uh, he's got the Steelers out of the playoffs, he's got the Jets out of the playoffs. Well, he didn't actually, but you know, yeah. <laughs> he succeeded in this one. Well, he could, he could, He's got the Steelers back into the playoffs. Well, <laughs> he gave the Jets hope yeah. to have it snatched just away enough, from them. Just enough hope to crush the spirit of everyone in your division. So our final game in the Dumpster Fireside Chats is... I can't believe we're actually discussing this game. 
St. Louis Rams at the 49ers, a 16-19 game in overtime. The game that just wouldn't end. And I was thinking of this, I was thinking of like naming it like the Father Ted episode. It was just like, <laughs> the game that just couldn't stop. Um, it's entirely pointless. Jeff Fisher locks up another 7-9 season, his fourth straight losing season in a row, and he's still going to have a job next year for some reason. Okay, Harry, why were these teams trying? Were they? Like, Connor, were they really... <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, literally all, 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 all this did as a game was make sure the 49ers had a slightly worse pick and the St. Louis Rams finished with a losing record so our friend our friend Alex was at uh, was actually at the game in, in, uh, in uh, Santa Clara and uh, he was texting me during it or WhatsApp or Facebooking or whatever it is whatever the kids use these days I don't know I just I have a carrier pigeon and a brick it was quite funny just him reacting to the Niners play and he was saying that by the end of the game you couldn't actually hear it on the broadcast by the end of the game he said everyone was just booing yeah, Tom Sula every time he came on uh, he, it was interminable like, he was there he's a Niners fan he wanted that game to end he was like just let the Rams win just God stop it get Blaine Gabbard off the pitch never have him play for my team again and it's, I think this was a chance you know for a lot of players on both teams to play for their careers at those teams and they just went out and went yeah, no, it's terrible. Roland, is Super Bowl 50 being held in Levi Stadium so that the fans can remember what football looks like? Yes, they're, they're, they're looking up at that. Like, I think in memory of the dumpster fireside chat, which we assume this is the last one we'll see, this is a, a very nice capstone. Green Bay are playing Washington. Years. I think this is a very apt game with which to uh, view the worst of the NFL. Like, this is a game which not only went to overtime but then managed to go even further into overtime by having a kit, like a blocked field goal. Yeah. Like, and then a missed yeah. kick as well, was Kate, it? I was waiting for the tie. Keenum versus Blaine Gabbert. It's <laughs> oh, like, God. Uh, admittedly, like two defences which are okay-ish. San Francisco are good at defence at home. St. Louis have a good defence. But it's just like, St. Louis had the chance to finally go evens. 8-8 eight and eight after beating the Seahawks. <laughs> and then they lose to San Francisco. Yeah, Ram's gonna ram. Yeah, I was gonna say. Speaking of this, this, this team is very interesting. I saw this online earlier today. The entirety of the Rams wide receiver core this year have 137 catches for 1,635 yards and eight touchdowns. Julio Jones has 136 catches for 1,871 yards and eight touchdowns. So the entirety of the Rams wide receivers, presumably nine people on rotation because some people come in and some people come out, have managed to be less effective yet catch the same amount as one wide receiver on another team. And he's not even the best one. Yeah, the Rams' best wide receiver seems to play better as a rusher than a receiver. Like, it's... What is going on, like? It's historical in those cases where... Like, they go on the roll of shame with Miami, with San Diego, with uh, mostly Tennessee. Uh, those teams who have provided much, much hatred for life. Indianapolis. No. Well done at making we'll, so many dumpsters. It, it, it's okay. They, they, they will probably feature heavily once the season is over in our, uh, in our podcast awards. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, because not all awards are good awards. Yeah, so I think we're going to move on to questions from the listeners. So we're going to do, because we want to get a good bit of time on the playoff games, just one question from listeners this week. So this one comes in from Mike, who is in Idaho. He says, uh, so the Pro Bowl, I know it's stupid, but that's because people are stupid. Who should have made it and didn't, and who should they be replacing? So it's an interesting question. This is, again, no one cares about, but 
to a certain extent, you'd hope that it would reflect who are the best players in the game. So we'll go around, we'll pick one person each, say, who who should be there that's not there, and then who they should replace that have made it to the thing. So we'll kick off with you, Ronan, I suppose. Who would you who would you be using for this? Yeah, so the player I would have put in is uh, Alan Robinson, obviously for the Jaguars. And of the wide receivers in the Pro Bowl, the one I would probably replace is Megatron. I think it's just a simple case where Alan Robinson has had an amazing season putting up uh, 1,400 yards you know, on a team which has been exciting, but which obviously has a lot of growing to do. While on the Megatron side, we, we, this was a down season for Megatron. Like, I don't think he like, under, like, didn't deserve Pro Bowl consideration, but I think when you look at Alan Robinson and the excitement he has, and you look where Megatron is relative to where we know Megatron can be, it's just kind of one of those seasons where I think Alan Robinson just deserved that nod, but obviously doesn't have the name value. And he was much more consistent over the season. I think Megatron had a lot of big games, but just wasn't consistent enough for my money to be getting into Pro Bowl over someone like Robinson. No, of course, of course. Uh, Harry, I suppose, go to you next. I want to be a real nerd and pick an O-lineman, <laughs> but uh, I actually know as little about O-lineman as most of the fans picking for the Pro Bowl do. So the next best thing which is a tight end. And kidding aside, this is quite a, a genuine one. Delaney Walker, I think, should be in the Pro Bowl, and I think the guy who should miss out is Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And, like, Travis Kelsey, good player, had a decent season, very solid numbers for a tight end, but Delaney Walker was spectacular this year. Delaney Walker was the first Titans tight end to go over 1,000 yards receiving in a season. Delaney Walker accounted for, get this right, he was the highest receiver on the Tennessee Titans team, 1,088 yards. The next best receiver, Doriel Green Beckham, 549 yards. <laughs> like, that is a huge difference, and this guy is a tight end. He yeah. was the only guy week on week who was performing out there. And look at like Kelsey. Kelsey had some really nice games. But there were weeks where they just didn't need him. Yeah. You know, because the Chiefs were doing good stuff. They had Macklin, they had other options, they had a strong run game. Tennessee put a huge amount on Walker. He accounted for nearly a third of all passing yards in that team. He was the only guy who, when Mariota went down and Mettenberger stepped in, uh, he was the only guy who actually just kept producing solid numbers game after game after game. And that's, regards to the top end stats, to see a guy on a team that is playing atrociously, consistently turning good performances. That's just remarkable. And, like, I mean, you've really got to just credit him credit him for that. And there was clearly a point in the season, and it was, I think, a long stretch in the middle before Green Beckham started coming on a bit, where he was the only offensive player that had the trust of his teammates and the coaches to give the ball to. Yeah. And, like, the things he did, his stats indicate that he should be there alone, but the way he played and what he did for that team and the way, like, Tennessee would have been so much worse than they even were without him, that's just been a remarkable season for Delaney Walker, and he just, yeah, he, career season. Oh, big time. Like, I'm a Chiefs fan, I like Kelsey, but yeah, like Delaney Walker, it's ridiculous looking at the stats, how he didn't make it onto there. Especially also, since he built his reputation as a blocking tight end with the 49ers, so like you know he's good on that side as well when he needed to be. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's um, it. Underrated blocker. Yeah, my, my one uh, is going to be uh, slightly over you one. It's going to be uh, Derek Johnson, linebacker for the Chiefs, uh, and I think he should definitely be there instead of Clay Matthews. This is a question I asked him. How's Clay Matthew in here? DJ, over 100 tackles this year, 81 solo, like four sacks. He's listed as pro football focus as number two inside linebacker behind Luke Keekley. So there has to be something in here. There has to be something that Clay Matthew has done more. So he has. Clay Matthew has two more sacks than Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson also has more than double the tackles he has. He has nearly 70 more tackles than him. Uh, Clay Matthews has one less interception, has five less passes defended, and has two less forced fumbles. But what he does have is stupid hair and a cameo in Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> and that's why people voted for the prick. Get back in your box, Clay Matthews. You're shit. You wouldn't say that to his face, would you? Would you? Okay I would have stuck me on Derek Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, there's a few other ones. I, I, I desperately wanted to do this about Cold Quit, but then I was like, no one wants to hear me talk for five minutes about fucking hey, Cold Quit. Cold Quit's a legit shout. Um, in fairness, like, they were kind of like, I, I'm not going to get into this, but like, Aaron Rodgers probably shouldn't have gone to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. There's a few of them. Uh, probably Roethlisberger as well, yeah. to be honest. There's better options out there. But, um, but yeah, people vote. People are stupid. I agree with you, Mike. People are stupid. But sometimes you get wisdom of the masses, and sometimes you get Clay Matthews. So we're going to move on to the playoff games for next week. So we're going to have a look at the playoff games, all four of them. Uh, but before we do, we just do a quick update now at the end of the season on how the picks went this year. We've only got two of us who managed to pick every week, <laughs> so myself and Harry. Except and we, week one, actually. <laughs> we missed that. <laughs> yes, actually, it does not include week one because we're a bit late on that one. So we got, uh, I went 145 and 95, and Harry went 146 and 94, yes. making him the victor. <laughs> We've got Ronan, who came in late, did very well. He's got 92 and 59, which would give him the best percentage. But again, he's kind of he missed the section of the season. We interestingly enough, Dave and Ian, two other people around it. Dave went 44 and 44 for a full 50 percent, and Ian went eight and eight, which is beautiful. Nice to see you guys doing so well. <laughs> 44 and 44, an aspirational target for the next head of the brains. And their next quarterback. Yeah, I think lasting enough seasons to see 88 games would be extremely yeah. aspirational for the oh, next coach of the Browns. So uh, we, were, we were laughing, it was the, uh, who was it, since 2005, seven or eight of those years for the Browns have ended with a loss to the Steelers in week 17 and not having the same coaching quarterback the following year. And it looks very likely that uh, that's going to just... oh, That's remarkable because he found the one point of consistency in Cleveland. Yeah, it's great. Uh, well, that was a consistently shite. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we're going to move on to the onto the actual picks now and have a little look at these. We're probably going to spend a bit more time than usual because of these four games. We're going to focus in a bit more, even though there are actually two of them where we're in agreement. So the first one up, uh, Kansas City Chiefs travel to Houston to take on the Houston Texans. I have taken the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Harry has taken the Kansas City Chiefs. And Fitz has taken the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so we'll kick off with uh, you, Harry. Why have you taken the Chiefs? As well? I'll try and play a bit of devil's advocate as they are my team and try and say why I think Houston will have a bit of strength no, against it. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not actually going to just, just get down on my knees for the Chiefs. They are the form team in the league, to be honest with you. Yeah. Coming on a 10-game... 10-game winning streak. Winning streak is, is absolutely insane. Recovered incredibly well from the early stage of the season, have adapted well, they're clicking. I reckon it's entirely because of our singing the tomahawk chop in Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> game really, that really sort of turned the season around. <laughs> actually stomping Take our the lines. Spirit, please. I, I'll take it with my drunken yelling during the game yeah, and my uh, failed attempt to get the field of Athen Rye going. Around the <laughs> there were two Irish lads in front of us who didn't join in, the pricks. <laughs> Kansas City look good. Houston uh, have looked a lot better recently. It is coming together. The defense is playing as well as we know it can do. The offense is looking a little more steady, if somewhat unreliable. And that's, I think, where the difference is going to come down to. I think as much as Houston's defense is going to give the Chiefs some problems, I think the Chiefs defense is going to give a weaker Houston offense more problems. The Chiefs defense is still very, very good. Houston have figured things out a little bit, but still the run game isn't fantastic. Their wide receivers aren't fantastic yes obviously Hopkins is good and you've got Cecil Shorts who can do some nice bits and bobs but isn't like a regular guy you can trust to throw to whereas Kansas City uh, you know even up against Houston's formidable defensive front and seemingly better now than you see backfield you've got to think the guys like Macklin Kelsey and again the running backs are going to not only have that ability to do what they do well in terms of basic running and catching Mm -hmm. but also the way Kansas City have got more ways they can vary their offense 
against a strong Houston yeah. defense. And if that's, you know, start throwing like little passes out to the flats to get the pressure off the quarterback, then start mixing up and doing it, doing it differently. Houston don't have that plethora of options. So I think they're going to... I think what's going to be, again, a closer game than one might expect because I think both teams are in good form coming into this. But I think Kansas City, particularly on that defensive side, are going to be able to shut down Houston, particularly the run game, and force them to throw the ball, which is not what Houston want to do. There's uh, there's going to be some interesting matches today. I think the, the, the matchup obviously is going to worry me the most going is going to be DeAndre Hopkins because he's obviously probably the best player on their offense at the moment. They figured out how to adjust to dealing with these fast wide receivers. They've shown it already during the season. They've done it two or three times, and sometimes it can be a rough start and then an adjustment to it. But yes, I think that'll be good. I think there's a weakness for the Chiefs' offense in that the starting center currently getting assessed for a concussion. They do have a very good backup center, but I believe uh, like he'll be kicking in from guard, so there'll be some movement on the offensive line for them. The case, which I do think is a potential risk, essentially against the strength of someone like JJ Watt coming from the other side. That said, though the Chiefs defensively are going to be looking at having the Hallies back uh, there's almost certainly going to have Houston back as well at the same time and Houston the team rather than the person uh, are now missing their starting left tackle for the game uh, and he's out for the entirety of the playoffs so I think that's going to be something that's going to cause them a huge amount of problem they've seen a lot of growth from D Ford on that defence over the last couple of weeks so now you're going to have the ability to put three guys in there and really disguise some rushes and have a lot of rotation if you need to keep guys fresh and stuff I think it's going to be a defensive game I think it's going to be an attritional game uh, but yeah I, th- I agree very much with you I think the Chiefs will edge it but not by as much as I would like like the problem is, like both these teams have quite impressive records in the second half of the season, but they've mostly done it against teams who are hard to evaluate, are generally from the lower half of the of the NFL hierarchy. We, 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 like, we, 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 can, we can say it directly, Ronan. It's mostly against shit teams. Texans get that by default with the AFC South, and then with the Kansas City Chiefs, they got Chargers twice, and then they had to play uh, the A, the AFC uh, North, so they had to play uh, not the good one, the bad one. <laughs> They both put on impressive enough runs in the final half of the season, but they both faced their tougher challenges at the at the front half. So it's kind of two teams, especially with Kansas City, they put together a really good run, but struggled against teams which they really should have been beating by quite a bit, such as Cleveland, such as San Diego uh, at home. These are kind of two teams which will put up a good... They're very solid, and they have all those pieces, and it could come down to that simple fact if, if Justin Houston comes back uh, fully fit uh, against uh, backup left tackle... Uh, that could be the deciding factor because obviously if you put Brian Hoyer under pressure uh, it doesn't matter how good DeAndre Hopkins is he, he's going to get hit now, one of the ones that should have been interesting to see is because I, I agree entirely with you that they kind of they haven't beaten some of the bad teams by a lot there's been a lot of those games like even the Raiders game the last day where like they went up by a lump and then they just sat on the lead and did nothing and just shut down I don't think it's the kind of thing where they're going to do that going into these games anyway because you've got a wider variance of the types of schemes you're playing against when you're in the playoffs and stuff but like it would worry me whether or not they still have that mindset of like get a bit of a lead and then go conservative because I don't think that works in the playoff like I always have flashbacks to that Colts game always have flashbacks to that Colts game so uh, fingers crossed KC managed this one but I can see Houston giving them an awful lot more hassle than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for Uh, we're split on the second game Pittsburgh at Cincinnati we've got one definite answer which is Fitz saying Pittsburgh I'm leaning towards Cincinnati so I'm going to probably go with Cincy at the moment and Harry is the same. Cincinnati, uh, this is going to be really disappointing. Yeah. Do you want to clarify that? Disappointing. Yeah, because I think, you know, we've, we've known this game's been likely 
or relatively likely for a few weeks now. And there was a few weeks ago, this was looking like this was if this match happened in the playoffs, you know, oh, man, rivalry yeah, games, two teams running hot. Then Dalton got hurt, and then Pittsburgh just forgot how to play football over the last few weeks. Now they could turn, they could turn it around. This could motivate them, you know, give them the kick they need to really get going. But based on their form coming into this game, this could be closer to the first Pittsburgh Cincinnati game than the second one. Yeah. Uh, so that would be disappointing if it were to be the case. I'm giving Cincinnati the edge at this point even though, obviously, they lost that second game to Pittsburgh. Because, yeah, I just think there's something wrong with the Steelers at the moment, and I think it's I think it's Roethlisberger. His play has been bad over the last few weeks. He doesn't have... Maybe he's, you know, it's Roethlisberger, so he might be playing hurt and not telling anyone. Yeah. They're throwing a lot they, of picks. They, he has. He's been inaccurate recently, and that's been the problem. And even with... We're seeing it, even with Antonio Brown still having monster games, Roethlisberger is struggling to find his targets in the way he was earlier in the season. And I think against the Cincinnati defense, that's going to generate a lot of picks. Now, is Dalton Mooney back? If he is, I'd be a lot more confident than Cincinnati call. Yes. If he isn't, can McCarron game manage his way through this one? Against that Pittsburgh secondary, and with a Pittsburgh offense that looks really scattergun right now, yeah, I think Cincinnati will be able to ride their defense. Now, this this isn't a, like, a super confident pick. Pittsburgh could come out, clicking, everything fires, and just destroy Cincinnati. Yeah. But I think Cincinnati's defense is in the right place to take advantage of a suddenly wobbly Pittsburgh offense. And remember, D'Angelo Williams is gone, so Pittsburgh have no running game coming into this, so it's all on Ben. If he doesn't perform, Cincinnati will just be able to smother them and pick the Pittsburgh defense apart. No, of course. Fitz, you've, you're very confident in Pittsburgh. Well, I'm not... I just happen to, you know... Give a definite answer. <laughs> Which... In itself is a much more confident pick than either of ours. <laughs> yeah, of course, but like, yeah, like I think as Harry said, the D'Angelo Williams thing is a major loss. Uh, he's day to day right now, so he could be back. But even if he's a little bit hurt, that will obviously won't help. Like I, I do love the irony of like if only Andy Dalton came back for the wild card round. <laughs> <laughs> sure, as per kind of the uh, the historical reasons why uh, <laughs> you you don't pick the the Cincinnati Bengals for their first playoff game. Does AJ McCarron break the duck? Does Andy Dalton with a broken thumb break the duck? Like I I think it's a really difficult one to call because I, I think you've all seen Pittsburgh have had issues on offense but like I, I have belief that Pittsburgh is the kind of organization uh, and they're the kind of team that when when the chips are down they'll be able to do what's necessary do enough to beat Cincinnati I think it's going to be a really tough game and, and, and like Ben Roethlisberger will probably get hit a lot more than he would like to get hit but I think that with the offensive weapons that they have they should just have enough to overcome what is a very good defense Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, like, I'm going on Cincinnati just on the basis of Cincinnati have a very loaded roster. I think we've seen their defense can perform, and we've seen Pittsburgh struggle a bit against better defenses, especially when you've got not only a playoff game, which always gets people hyped up, but an in-division playoff game as well, and Cincinnati are the home team that's going to play a big factor in it as well. The strength of Pittsburgh's offense going against the strength of the Bengals' defense and see... That could be close. That could go either way, depending on how well the Pittsburgh team come out and play. But on the other side of the ball, the Cincinnati offense versus the Pittsburgh defense. Even if Dalton's not there, even if it's AJ McCarron, I don't think AJ McCarron's not a. Te- I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. I think he's a pretty decent quarterback. I think they've got the weapons to do it. I think Pittsburgh's defense is quite poor and like very, very poor. Possibly one of the poorest defenses that is in the. Playoffs with the exception of maybe Green Bay at this point. And I think he's going to be able to do a lot with them. Because even if they don't want to put too much pressure on him, they've got two excellent running backs who are going to tear the shit out of them. I, I see this as a scenario where I think Cincinnati should win this game. I can see a scenario where Pittsburgh come out and 
do it and just perform. But I think it's much more likely uh, on balance that Cincinnati are going to take this one. It's not going to be super high scoring. I also think it's going to be super low scoring. I think it's going to be like something like 27 to 21 or something like that, maybe. I think it's one game where you you should never count out Pittsburgh if they have any chance, I think. like I think it's almost a team which plays better with its back to the ball and having to go all out attack. Because they're used to training against Ben Roethlisberger. I didn't really clock it until this week. Like He's always been a big guy, but this season, he's oh, as he's, big as his lineman. Oh, yeah, he's huge. Like, and he's also, he's, I think he's put on a couple of pounds as well yeah. for padding. He looks, I suppose it's wintertime. He's, near, he's nearing hibernation. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is that guy who's like Gentle Ben, the interviewing bear from The Simpsons, right? <laughs> <laughs> too real, too real. Um, but yeah, allegedly, I, I, I think this is going to be a very interesting game to watch. Although it's not quite late for us, and it's not like twelve o'clock or something. Uh, it's a Saturday, Saturday night, oh, yeah. Saturday night, got nothing else to be doing. The, the, the latest game is the one that's on the least convenient time, and that's. Mm. Uh, Probably the one that's going to be... Yeah, we'll come on to that. Next game, we're all in agreement on, which eh, I can see it, but I'm, also, I'm surprised we don't have at least one wavering on this one. Seattle at Minnesota. Uh, I've taken Seattle. Fitz has taken Seattle. Harry's taken Seattle. I suppose I'll kick off on this one. I think Seattle are playing an excellent, excellent form of football at the moment. Russell Wilson is being able to actually pass and put up massive numbers. They're getting Marshawn Lynch back. The defense has looked an awful lot stronger. They played Minnesota recently and showed them what was going to happen if they played them again. This is a team that's hitting perfect form going into the going into the postseason. Minnesota are a team, we discussed their game earlier, they're flawed, they're okay, but they're not championship level. I think this is a championship level Seahawks team versus a just about playoff level Minnesota team. So I think class is going to show it in this game and Seahawks are going to win by at least two scores, if not more. Yeah, um, I'm a bit surprised that you said you thought people might be wavering on this one. I think this is probably the most clear cut of the games this week. Are Minnesota capable of an upset? Sure, in the way that... You know, the Rams are capable of an upset against Seattle. Well, this is the thing, though. You think, like, the Rams beat them too easily. Yeah, but the Rams beat, like, the Rams, the Rams, like, they're the Rams. They don't make any fucking sense. But this is the thing. Minnesota are an incredibly inconsistent team who have, you know, in their record, perhaps they'll fathom a little. They've got some very talented players. But week on week, those guys don't show up every week, particularly against nasty defenses that don't give them time to get the run game established, that don't give Teddy Bridgewater that little bit of time more in the pocket to get comfortable, that give their not great wide receivers time to get open. Is Minnesota capable of winning tough games? Yes. Is Minnesota capable of winning this game? Yes. But Minnesota's... This would be Minnesota at the peak of their variance to beat Seattle. We're also capable of world peace. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, like Minnesota at the peak of their variance can beat Seattle, but like 90% of Minnesota's variance is worse than is yeah. worse than the Seattle Seahawks team that just turns up and plays okay. If Seattle turn up and play as well as they can play, there's no way Minnesota can play well enough to beat them. No. And Seattle, I think, are also going to be... like This is a Seattle team with that mentality, and we've seen what happened. Like They lost to the Rams, and then they came out and were like, fuck this. Yeah. And... They annihilated the Cardinals. Now, obviously, a slightly weird game in a weird spot, but they showed the killer instinct of being like a team that wasn't quite up for it, wasn't quite in the races. They put the boot on the neck and did not let up. And I can see them doing the same thing here against Minnesota to prove a point. Like, we are dangerous. We are in here to win. The second Minnesota waiver, I think Seattle will start tearing to pieces. And I just think that that potential for that to happen is if Seattle waiver, Minnesota might be able to take advantage. If Minnesota waiver, I think Seattle are going to be absolutely ruthless. And I think their offense is playing well enough to overcome a tough Minnesota defense. And their defense has come together in such a way. Yeah, like it'll be interesting because there is, there is also an element, from what I gather, the forecasts are for like 
near nearly zero temperature and then a massive wind chill on top. And if it's the return of Marshawn Lynch, it'd be interesting to see exactly what level of input he can have into the game as a running back versus like should they hold off and then get him more involved in a slightly more friendly to a to a running back coming back on scenario. But uh, Fitz, given that this is your team, go ahead. Like obviously I'm confident. Uh, after that, uh, Cardinals game, obviously, which we didn't discuss, but the Seahawks hockeyed the Cardinals in what was obviously somewhat of a dead rubber game. But I think you kind of saw the Seahawks are in that angry mindset right now where they've kind of been uh, shot on a little bit over the year. Like, I think the one, like the, there's two major question marks in this. One is, will Marshawn Lynch come back as the player we know he can be? And that's kind of, it's very much an open question right now. And if he isn't really uh, playing as well as he as he can be, will we see a committee between him and Christine Michael? Uh, could be interesting to see. The other thing is Vikings defense. When we when the Vikings lost heavily to the Seahawks a few weeks ago, they were missing a lot of starters on their defense, but most of them have come back. Uh, Anthony Barr, for example, the one who was left inactive for the last game, Linval Joseph, was a massive part of their success in defense in the earlier part of the season. Mm. So. If their defense can get back to what it was like earlier in the season with those pieces coming back, we could see a much closer game than we would expect right here. But based on form, based on who's available, you'd have to give the Seahawks a major edge in this game. Yeah, no, I think we're I think we're all relatively in agreement on that one. That like there is there are factors that might make Minnesota more interesting in this game, but I think we're all relatively happy it's going to be Seattle. The final game is going to be Green Bay at the Washington Pale Faces. This is going to be interesting. I've taken the pale faces. Fitz has taken Green Bay. Harry has taken the pale faces as well. Could you imagine at the start of this season? Jesus. Us going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Washington Football Club are going to play Green Bay. And we're, we're going to have two-thirds of us picking the Washington Football Club. <laughs> I suppose I'll start with you, Harry. Why Washington? Now, I don't know if you've heard this before. Washington, at home, against mediocre offences. Washington have been in form recently. Kirk Cousins is playing... You like that? You like that? You like that? You know what? As a fan of the sport who appreciates good play, I do like that. Kirk Cousins is playing is playing really, really good stuff at the moment. Stuff we wouldn't even thought midway through the season he was necessarily capable of doing. Washington's defense has been quietly tough and it seems to only be getting better as things go on. Although there is a sense that you're just waiting for an inevitable collapse there, which could come at this point. Yeah, their wide receivers. What seven weeks uh, for smallpox to settle in? And it's been about that length of time since Thanksgiving, right? Their, their wide receivers are gelling. We've seen young guys like Jameson Crowder and Ryan Grant are starting to make uh, nice sort of additions to, to what they already have there. Jordan Reed is in incredible form in the back half of the season, whereas Green Bay are coming into this all over the shop. They're going into a stadium that's been very, very tough to play in against a defense that plays very, very well at home with their offense being more or less an omni-shambles at this stage because despite all of Aaron Rodgers' talents, he's just not able to get anything out of the weapons around him. Their play calling is terrible. The run game doesn't seem to exist right now. Despite, like, yes, on paper, Green Bay obviously have more talent than, than Washington. They have a better record than Washington. And yet, looking at the form, looking at how they played, looking at the things that Green Bay are struggling with right now, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to give Washington the edge because I think that Green Bay are going to struggle to move the ball and I think that Washington just aren't. Yeah, I could be, look, this could, this could go horribly wrong. I thought it was going to be a hero pick and then you spoiled it by also mm. <laughs> also taking Washington. But I genuinely think they have the edge going into this game and if they're able to keep their form up, I don't know if Green Bay are going to be able to elevate their elevate themselves to winning a playoff game. Yeah, of course. So, Fitz, why is a team that can only put up 13 points at home against Minnesota going to beat an on-form Washington team? 
like I think this is just one of those, those picks where I'm going with my gut. I'm kind of looking at if I look at who's on these teams, if I look at what's on on paper, like I'm just saying that Green Bay has more, and that Green Bay has looked at a support sorts for a while, but has come back and done some good things in other games, like in that Minnesota game earlier in the season, they were already at a four and they did some good things. I just think that when the moment comes, I have more faith in this Green Bay team because Washington. Just like I was talking about earlier with Kansas City and Houston, they've been beating teams who, who are very, you know, mediocre to bad, uh, you know, NFC East, you know, hashtag NFC East. It's just like one of those situations where I don't think Washington has done it against the really good teams. And while I think the Green Bay defense isn't, like, great, I think it's actually probably been the better half of their team uh, over the second half of the season compared to their offense, which has seemed to stutter a lot. I just think when Washington are overrated, and Green Bay, even though they're struggling so much, will just have enough class to basically overcome a team, which yeah, I just I just don't trust. You know, prove me wrong, Washington. Prove me wrong. To, to be fair, in a contest of class, you're always going to be more classy than the team named after a racial slur. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but, um, like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I occasionally felt the exact same way throughout the season of, like, Green Bay, come on. They've got Aaron Rodgers, they've got good receivers, they've got good running backs, they've got good pieces all over the shop. But it's just not working. Like, it's just flat out not working. Like, they're lucky to have made it into the playoffs, to be honest. Like, not that Minnesota are much better, but, like, they just lost at home to Minnesota. They're not a team that's clicking in any way. They're not playing particularly well. There's nothing you can point to and go, like, that's what they're really good at. Like, there's nothing you can say that that... You can't go like, oh, like, their linebackers are particularly good, or, oh, it's that, it's that bad pass rush, or it's, it's, they've got great wide receivers. You can say they've got a good quarterback, and they do have one of the best quarterbacks, but he's not having a good season. He's not been playing well. He doesn't have the weapons to go to. Washington, I don't like as a team. Mm-hmm. I actively don't like as a team. But they're playing well. Everything's clicking for them. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're a championship team. But I don't think Green Bay's a playoff team. I think that Washington are going to edge them. It's going to be an okay game. I'm not going to watch it because I'll have work the following day and I don't care that much. Um, <laughs> I'll watch the, the 9 o'clock game. I'll watch the recap or something of it afterwards. But like, um, I'm actually, I'm actually stay up and watch it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we will. We, know, we know we will. I'm, 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 I'm lying to myself. Like, there's four games on. Of course, I'm going to stay up and watch it. Yeah, just I think I think the racists are going to edge it. So let's just see. Like, you wonder that means that like if if we have these correct. So there's a lot of connotations to that. If we have these correct, say we say KC win and Cincy win, then that will mean that KC travelled to Denver and Cincy travelled to uh, travel to the Pats. That'd be fun. That'd be very KC fun. Denver in the playoffs. I'd yeah. love to. I'd love to take them out of home again. I'd also that. rather probably rather play Cincinnati than Kansas City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we'd have Seattle would win, and we're going to say uh, the Racists win. So that would have. Seattle, yeah, they're going to Carolina, Carolina, to Carolina yeah. and the racists to uh, the Arizona. Cardinals. Those would also be excellent games. That'd be fun. Those if the Seahawks win, then yeah, it's guaranteed to be. That'll be that'll be very season. exciting. But yeah, yeah that'd be like you'd expect Arizona to have a pretty easy game. Yeah, you you would you you would. Yeah. I think Arizona will be happy with what, happy the Carolina Seahawks game. Tasty. Oh yeah, yeah that's good. gonna be that's gonna be very good. That's but no, uh, hard fought. <laughs> hard fought game. So one of the things we're gonna try and look at uh, doing now as well as uh, any of you guys get want to get interested and get involved as well. Drops a line. Uh, we're looking for people who because we we're pretty much aware that uh, we've all got a horse in this race. So we're all gonna be slightly biased. Love to have the opinions of people whose teams are not in the playoffs. As to what do you think of them? 
who you'd like to see do well and all that kind of stuff. That'd be great fun. If you're a fan of a team and you're interested in that, one of the things we're probably going to be looking at doing over the uh, over the off season, we'll be doing profiles of individual teams, where they are in the development, what they need to look at draft wise, what their prospects are, and what their uh, what their schedule and stuff are going to look like. So, if you're a fan of a team, we'd love to hear from you because we're going to try and get some of your opinions on those things and put them all together because I think that'll be quite interesting. It's a long time from the Super Bowl to the start of the uh, start of the new season, my friends. It's a dark time, uh, <laughs> but it'll be fun. Uh, any other crack on yourselves, boys? Before we get to any interesting personal crack, uh, Ronan has been working on a little project tracking what we've been talking about. So I'd just like to kick it over to him. Oh yeah, give us a bit of a rundown on the on the mentions. This is the this is the yeah. shit we've been talking about. Quantify literally in some ways, yeah. Exactly. So obviously, I'm, I'm a statistician by trade. So this is what I do. <laughs> uh, the rules: if you had multiple mentions in the same week then those are, you'd get the sum of all those. So if a team was mentioned three times in a week, you would get three points for that week, effectively. The other thing to mention, basically, that the three ways that you would get a mention is a, if you're in the news or a player of yours is in the news, if you were one of the games selected for the week, so obviously that kind of biases towards good, good teams and bad teams, if you were mentioned in a question. So mentioned in a question or became one of the major topics of a question. In no particular order, except for the order that they came in, the team who got the most mentions this year was the Denver Broncos. Boo. Boo. Fuck the Broncos. Denver Broncos. That's another one. <laughs> we just don't understand football. <laughs> yeah, so we can assume that comes. Denver was involved a lot of a lot, uh, involved a lot of games late on in the season. Well, we had, we had like we, 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 we had interesting games. We had dirty players. We had the Peyton. collapse of Peyton Manning. Yeah. The Brock Lobster coming in. There was a lot of storylines for them this year. Really were. And the bottom feeder, the worst team uh, in terms of mentions that we care the least amount is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yay. Just like the NFL community. <laughs> I, I, I honestly would have thought that we talked about them more. I'm 90% sure that all of those very few mentions of Jacksonville have just been Alan Robinson. Yeah, well, Blake Bortles got a mention in terms of young quarterbacks. Oh, there was uh, there was that game. The problem because we because being mentioned in a dumpster fire uh, situation or doing really badly is newsworthy. Being average makes you less likely to be picked. Like, look at the other teams yeah, that yeah, badly was Chicago and Tampa Bay and San Diego and Houston. These are all teams which kind of just were okay, didn't really do set the world on fire. I think getting the least amount of mentions is probably good for Jacksonville because that means they're progress. moving up into the world, progress. into the fat middle of teams which are okay, not great, not really worth mentioning, progress. rather than being the dumpster fires of you know Cleveland and whatnot. What we'll probably do as well is uh, we'll do a little bit more chat about this stuff uh, whenever we finish up the season. We'll do uh, like I said, we'll do a kind of end of the end of the season wrap and some awards and so we'll probably chat a bit more about who was who was worth mentioning and who we maybe mentioned too often. Uh, <laughs> I can see one on that list already. <laughs> I can see at least one on that list already. <laughs> Looking at you, NFC East. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, no, it was good fun. Um, but yeah, any other crack at yourselves this week, lads? No. No, no, it's all sort of the post-New Year's kind of, I got myself into oblivion for the last week, so I just kind of need to take it easy, maybe actually start using my gym membership, not not, just not in that oh, new year, new me thing, but like, you know, maybe start going twice a week instead of once a week just for a week or two to try and get back into the rhythm of oh, it. Oh, actually, know? Fitz might be interested in this. Fitz, uh, we're planning a competition where we're trying to build a, build like a measurement spreadsheet so we have a competition between both of our houses for who can go and use a gym most, but like, not just time, but also effort as well, so you're not just sat in the gym going, I'm going to win that 
pint of wine or whatever. Pint of wine. Effort. <laughs> 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 That'll be fine. Yeah, no, another no other wild scandal. Uh, we'll probably be making plans for like session for the for the for the Super Bowl and stuff. Uh, yeah. We must actually uh, we'll, we'll tweet out if there's anyone around Ireland. Is just like what our plans might be if we're heading out to town for the for the playoff games or something. But um, apart from that, there's not too much with me. Anything with you? You know, end of the regular season tier. You know, mm. it go it went back it went by like it 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 starts so late and then it's over so quickly. Obviously, for us, it's not over yet. Just like sex, so- if it's a sex life. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cold. But, Just yeah, like it's a sex life. <laughs> so it's it's okay, guys. No one time. listens to this part of the podcast. <laughs> Football season. One of the guys in work told me he was listening to it. He was telling me that uh, what he does with that was he puts it on and he's lying back in bed, so he gets like about four, like about half an hour or so of it before he falls asleep. And I was like, "That's good. Don't listen to the end of it." That's when I tell them I don't do any work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I believe the end of the last podcast we literally have that discussion. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Adam's going to another section at the end of the month, so he'll probably let it slide. Welcome to the public sector, everyone. It's <laughs> uh, a great place to work. Oh God, but yeah. So I suppose uh, say goodbye, Fitz. Bye. Say goodbye, Harry. Goodbye. Alright. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter, find us up on iTunes, all that kind of shit. Uh, and yeah, we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>